Good evening and welcome to a special edition of On Every Main Street. I'm your host, Greg Caponia, and our first guest is a person I met earlier this year while traveling in Jerusalem, Israel. We were looking for a Christmas ornament to bring back to the United States, and just when we thought we couldn't find one, we ran into this beautiful house in old Jerusalem owned by Mr. Isa Kasasia, the official Jerusalem Santa. Welcome, Santa. Hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. It's different time from Jerusalem and different time in the United States, but that doesn't matter. How are you? <laughs> uh, we are doing terrific. Thank you for joining us today. Isa, you ride a, um, or Santa, I should say, rides a camel into Old Jerusalem. Is that correct? Yes. I ride a camel. I enter Jerusalem with a camel, and that's bring joy and love and spirit of Christmas to the city of Jerusalem. And of course, when I enter that on the special season of Christmas, that make uh, the people here and the tourists also in, in coming to visit Jerusalem, they will be very proud to see Santa on a camel. I would say that if, if you want to follow along with us, you should look for the Jerusalem Santa on Google, or you can go to Facebook and type in Jerusalem Santa, and you will see the Jerusalem Santa doing some interesting things in the Middle East. Now, Isa, you're not really a political guy. You're sort of a peace-on-earth kind of guy, aren't you? Yes. Actually, I never, especially where I live in Jerusalem, in the old city, we have different religions. We have different different kind of political uh, issues with different, like, we have Jew, we have Muslims, we have Christian. And as me, as a Santa Claus, it's not easy part what I'm doing, but I respect everybody. My Santa house in the old city, welcoming everybody to come to my house. I have all religion come to my house, and always I welcome them to give them the message of peace and love coming from Jerusalem. And you have a lot of children and families that line up outside of your house to come into your uh, Santa's workshop, which we'll talk about here in a second, don't you? You have a lot of people that come and see you, don't you? Yes. Actually, last year with the pandemic, I have 20,000 kids came to my house in one month of December. Think about that. That is a lot of people for Santa Claus to see in the Middle East. What a, what a fantastic thing to do. And, I, and Isa, when you invited me into your house, you actually invited me into your Santa's workshop, and I'm going to put pictures of it online. It's incredible. How did you build this workshop? Well, let me start from the beginning when sure. I start to do it. Please. Uh, okay, I've been Santa for 15 years. It's good to explain to everybody that hears this story. Actually, 15 years ago, I put a Santa suit, which my father used to wear it for me and my two sisters. You know, like every father likes to make his kids <laughs> sure. happy. And I put it on 15 years ago, and I just went to Jaffa Gate once a year, just for fun. You know, I just, oh, I'm, and I saw the very excited eyes of the children, and the people are very excited to see Santa Claus. And that's one part. The second part, because when I was a kid, I never meet Santa Claus in the Holy Land or in Israel or in Jerusalem. And then I say, wow, I want to try to do this. And the first two years, the three years in the beginning, I say, wow, I need to have a different idea to be wearing a Santa Claus 
to, to buy a new suit, to make it more better. And then I think about an idea that the three wise men, when they came, they went to Bethlehem, they came in a camel. That's what the way they do as transport to mm -hmm. come to to bet to went to Bethlehem. And then I say, why I don't enter Jerusalem as a Santa on a camel? And from this moment, I entered 10 years ago. It was wise words that Santa in Jerusalem riding a camel. And that's how they gave this announce of me as a Jerusalem Santa. That's the story, how it happened. And now I'm wild words, actually. And I'm ambassador for 1,510 Santa from all around the United States to the Holy Land. Wow. And that's behalf of that I've been in Santa school in the United States. I think maybe not everybody knows that there is a Santa school in the United States. When I have some visitors sometimes from the United States coming to my house, say I, they see all my diploma on the wall and say, oh, there's a Santa school? I say, yeah, there is a Santa school. And one of the oldest Santa schools I've been, it's from 1937. It's in Michigan, Midland. That's called the Charles W. Howard. That's one of the biggest and the oldest Santa school in the world. And when I came back from the school, I think about to open my house seven years ago to be a Santa Claus house in Jerusalem in the heart of the world. Jerusalem for me is the heart of the world. And always the message of peace and love coming from the city of Jerusalem, the heart of the world, to the world. And when we have peace in Jerusalem, we'll be peace all around the world. Now you are an official accredited Santa, aren't you? Yes. Actually, I'll tell you a story. When I was in sure. South W. Howard School, I asked the head of the school. His name is Tom. Tom, if anybody came from the Holy Land before, anybody came from Israel, and he came from Jerusalem to be Santa, say never. Either from the Middle East, I'm the only certificate Santa Claus from the Middle East and the Holy Land. Ha. <laughs> And so uh, you were saying something that I found uh, really interesting when I was with you. You call it the Ho Ho Holy Land. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's yes, that's I added because you know, you know when Santa gives the, his laugh, he go with Ho Ho Ho, mm -hmm. and then I add to it. I say Ho Ho, and that we are in the Holy Land, and we go Ho Ho Holy Land, and that <laughs> was amazing message. And everybody were happy to hear that when I go on the street, when I am around and riding on the camel, when I give this my giving, ho, 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 Holy Land, everybody is happy to hear that. And that's make it more magical because the only Santa Claus in, in the Holy Land. When you go into Santa's workshop in Old Jerusalem, yes. it's almost like, well, you, of course you're there. I mean, there's a typewriter there. There's a grand throne for you to speak with the children it's yeah. and i will put pictures of this on our website but it's really an incredible and ornate setup how did you do that well i i two months i was building my house to make it ma magical you know people are very happy when they come to my house the house is a 700 years old house and it's make it all stone inside very old and when I put all my old things and, and also the workshop, I tried to do all the old tools from my grand-grandfather, uh, where he kept it. And I put it on my Santa house that to show either the word of word of Santa Claus that he used to do the toys from wood and materials. 
in hundreds of years ago. That's the more magical make it for people to see my workshop. And I have a small cookie kitchen too for the people where I make my cookies. And of course, I have my chair. I have my nativity set in the wall. And that shows the people also that Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's miracle. And also, I built my sleigh. Actually, when kids come inside, they see my sleigh. I say, oh, where's your reindeer? I say, I kept them near the airport. And I came all the way from the airport to Jerusalem by camel because there is no snow and they cannot go. They don't have, like, snow in, in Jerusalem. <laughs> That's right. Hey, there's a pretty famous picture of you, and I recalled seeing it years ago, where you are sitting in the Dead Sea. Santa is in the in yeah. the out in the Dead Sea on like a little island with a Christmas tree. Point. Yeah, can you can you tell us about that? All right. Yes. Well, it was pandemic 2020, and really was people are very stressed, and I have this idea because people, everybody is like in pandemic, like with this crazy situation that we have, everybody was like locked down and everything is not easy there's, and there's no Christmas and, and then I think about an idea I, to have my Christmas tree in the middle of the sea <laughs> why I did this why I did it, because actually with this COVID-19 how it happened with stress mm-hmm. no life I put the Christmas tree in the Dead, dead Sea because also in the Dead Sea, no one can live, no plant li- alive there, no, no animals can live there, okay? And when I put my Christmas tree, that's I bring life back to, to be life coming from the Dead Sea to the world. So you brought life that's to what, a place where no mind. life can really exist. Exactly, and this is the lowest point on Earth, and it's really salty. If you've been in the Dead Sea or anybody can hear us, he wasn't the Dead Sea. He understand what the Dead Sea is. Mm-hmm. Isa, Santa. And that's the magic, and it's happened in magical. Yeah. Santa, what are the children asking for this year? Wow. This year is very big, big difference. Last year, I was like, to the last two years, people and children are asking, please, Santa, let's go back to our normal life with this pandemic. But now this year is different. Also, no mask, uh, to be natural to hug them again. They miss my hug. First they say, oh, Santa, we miss you. We want to give you a hug. And now they can go back to hug me again. I'm so proud for that. I'm happy for this. I, because the last two years, I don't hug children because of the pandemic. Now we are going back to hug each other. They love it. And of course, they ask me for a nice gift. Most of them ask me for telephones, iPhones, and of PlayStation and the games and all the all the new uh, games and uh, that's but sometimes I don't promise them because I cannot lie I don't want to be telling them I promise them and they cannot do it and or if the parents are also in a, in a situation they cannot buy sure. very expensive gifts I and I always I don't promise but I say to them let's pray. And then if we pray, and then maybe God help us to have it. But you do give them a candy cane, don't you? Of course. We give them chocolate, we give them candy cane. I, I put for small, especially the small girls, I give them magic dust in the hands. They are like thick, uh, lighting in the hands, and they love it. And they say, wow, Santa, look, my hands are shining. And that's the message always. I love to see the eyes of them. And as me as a Santa, 
everybody wants love to have picture with me. You are like Santa is the special person to have a picture with, and that's the picture is not for me for them. That's some good memory for future. I can yes. tell you, Santa, that when I came there with Kathy, it was the right yeah. before we were supposed to get back on the plane and go home. Visiting your workshop was such a, a fantastic way for us to be to finish our our holiday in Israel and to hear your story was so inspiring about the way you spread love, spread joy, and hope for peace. That's my message always, and I never change my message and my rules because for me, it's a message of love and giving, especially coming from Jerusalem. As I told you, the heart of the world, and that's the thing. And I want to tell you, that's more important. It started here, in the Holy Land, and it will end here, wherever happened in the world. That's the beginning, and that's the end. Santa, when do you? When does your workshop open, and and when do you close for the year? Now, all the months of December. We started from the first of December, and we close until the end of December. But. In Jerusalem or in the Holy Land, we have three Christmas. We have in December 25th, 24th, 25th for the Catholic. We have the Orthodox one, 6th and 7th January. And we have the Armenian on the 18th, 19th January. Wow. I want to thank you very much for being on our program today, Santa. And Santa is yeah, also... my pleasure. And I want to wish, I want to wish everybody who is going to be hearing that Especially from the heart of the world, Jerusalem, the city of love, the city of peace. And I wish them a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from the whole, whole, holy land. <laughs> Jerusalem Santa, Isa Casasia, thank you very much for being on, on every Main Street. You're listening to WDIY 88.1 FM. We will be back to chat about Christmas in Ireland right after this break. Spread the word about your business or organization to a well-informed audience. Become an underwriter with WDIY. Our lineup of NPR news and locally produced programs reaches thousands of engaged listeners in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. Underwriting on WDIY is an affordable and effective way to provide information about your product and services to people who care. To learn more about underwriting opportunities, 610-694-8100 or WDIY.org. Welcome back to On Every Main Street. Next, we're going to jump from the ho-ho-holy lands to Ireland and chat about Christmas traditions in Ireland. Let's welcome our next guest, Neville Gardner. Neville is the proprietor of one of my favorite restaurants, McCarthy's Red Stag Pub and Whiskey Bar, and also a proprietor of a great store, Donegal Square. Welcome, Neville. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. How are we doing? Excellent. Thank you. Neville. Does Santa visit Ireland? Ah, uh, well, Santa does visit Ireland. Yeah, um, you know, Santa is as big a part of Christmas uh, in Ireland as I think he is in America. I mean, we have millions of other traditions. Sure, um, but but certainly Santa Claus and Christmas trees and decorations and all that kind of stuff uh, are really big there. Now we don't really have Thanksgiving in mm-hmm. Ireland as such, so you know, Christmas is the time whenever the turkey is brought out, and uh, of course, there's all kinds of Christmas foodstuffs. That were created by dating, but yes, absolutely. Santa Claus is a very popular character in Ireland. So we 
here traditionally, you know, start with Christmas after Thanksgiving. Is there a time or a date when the Christmas tree uh, traditionally is supposed to go up or an official beginning of the Christmas season in Ireland? Uh, it kind of relates a bit to Advent, you know, um, and I know like here in Bethlehem, there was a time whenever they didn't want to put the Christmas lights on before the start of Advent. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, commercialism changes everything, you know. I mean, and I recently was looking online at something back home, and I saw that there was a place having a Black Friday sale in Ireland, <laughs> which I got the huge charge out of because, you know, Black Friday is totally an American thing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think commerce in Ireland has rubbed off and said, oh, you know, let's uh, kick the season off here on uh, the day after Thanksgiving. Let's call it Black Friday. So in Ireland, they're doing the same thing. So it's the same thing kind of with St. Patrick's Day. You know, St. Patrick's Day in Ireland was always a very more of a holy day, uh, you know, a saint's day that would be celebrated in a more kind of holistic, religious way. And, of course, with the advent of tourism and people coming from America to Ireland, of course, St. Patrick's Day has become much more of a, of a festive holiday in Ireland than it was before because of the influence of tourism from America and from mm-hmm. other parts of the world. Interesting. Tell us a little bit about the Rand Boys. The Rand Boys, yeah. Well, Rand Boys are that's kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting topic because that's sort of a pagan, um, you know, it, it, around Galway in particular uh, in the west of Ireland. You know, a few weeks before Christmas, they would go out and hunt the Rand. Um, so the Rand is sort of associated with the arts and spiritualism and all the rest of it, and so it seems very, uh, it seems very crazy that they go out and kill a Rand. But they would basically go find around the smallest of birds, you know, and they would kill it and have a parade. Uh, I mean, in this day and age, they're not so much killing rands. They've got, like, fake ones. But in the olden days, yeah, absolutely. They killed the rand. They put it on top of a pole. And the rand boys, who were all dressed up in, in costume, would uh, would do it. And they would have this chant. They, they, it went something like this. The rand, the rand, the king of all birds, once in Stephen's day, was caught in the furs, up with a kettle and down with a pan, give me a penny to bury the rand. Like, that's kind of the poem that goes with it. And these Ren boys would recite that. A lot of times they were dressed up in straw, hats. Um, you know, it all ties into, like, the whole thing with mummers, right? You know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I know you have the Philadelphia Mummers Parade, and, and that's that's a big thing here in this part of the world. But mumming actually originated in Ireland, believe it or not. So, like, in Donegal, for example, people would be eagerly, you know, awaiting the arrival of the mummers at their doors during Christmas. And the mummers were basically men who acted at a play, uh, they performed it at people's homes. They dressed in homemade costumes, and they portrayed different characters. Like the faces of the performers were covered in straw masks, same as with the Ren boys. Uh, and of course, there was Jack Straw, who would have the straw mask. Costumes made out of straw, you know, like hay bales kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that was a whole big, big thing around Christmas time. Mummery at Christmas time was performed in Ireland in the early 19th century. Probably continued on and off up to the beginning of the First World War, and then it kind of stopped. But it's been picked up again, you know. Uh, a lot of these old traditions are very pagan in nature, just the same as Halloween is the last day of the Celtic year, referred to in Irish traditions as Samhain, and that's whenever the, the synapse between this world and the other world are very close. So the idea of fairy folk and all of, all of these traditions, like the Ren boys and the Mummers, uh, are all tied closely together and go back to the ancient Celtic traditions, kind uh-huh. of pre-Christian traditions. So, yeah, so again, the Ren boys hunt the Ren, uh, parade around, 
and then and then the mummers tie very closely into that. So it's uh, very if you just go on Google, uh, yeah. just go on Google and type it in. It'll give you more than you need to see. Yeah, you can but, see people uh, dressed yeah, in straw a, and uh, things like that. It's it's quite interesting. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I know we had George Miller and Kate Scuffle who ran the Silky Theatre recently, you know, mm-hmm. in in the Lehigh Valley here. George unfortunately passed this past year, uh, right. but his his uh, his history lives on. And they had come and done a couple of things uh, in Red Boy's costume for us here at the shop and the pub in years past. So it very much ties into into our history. Now, you know that's the Irish tradition. Now I grew up in the north of Ireland. You know, so in in, in the Republic of Ireland, the day after Christmas is St Stephen's Day. In the north of Ireland, it's Boxing Day. So so I mentioned Donegal and Galway, in like in Belfast and County Antrim and that area. It would be more the day after Christmas would be more considered Boxing Day, and that's a day for a big sale in Ireland. But you know we have lots of traditions. Like tr- typically, people would stay home on Christmas Day and have a Christmas dinner at home. And as I said, it would generally be turkey, ham, turkey, four kinds of potatoes. You know, scalloped potatoes, boiled potatoes, baked potatoes. I mean, we're making up for the time <laughs> that we had a famine and had no potatoes, right? So now right, there's every right. kind of potatoes known to man. We have a special kind of pudding that's available at Christmas time, you know, mostly uh, plum pudding, Christmas pudding, figgy pudding. It's basically made from dried fruits, and it's a steamed pudding that's served either traditionally with either like a brandy butter or a brandy sauce or with uh, even just a, an egg custard on the top. And we also have what's known as a Christmas cake, right? And that's like a very rich, dark fruit cake. Like fruit cakes in America, you people don't really appreciate fruit cakes so much because some of the fruit cakes I've had here could be used as projectiles, you know, uh, <laughs> bricks. Fruit cakes in Ireland are very soft and moist, and they generally have a layer of marzipan on top, the Christmas cake, and then a, and then a layer of royal icing, and it's a very treasured. You know, you go to somebody's house and they give you a piece of their Christmas cake, you definitely elevate it to a position of greatness, you know, because it's a real delicacy. And uh, it's one of those things that just goes along with, with Christmas time. So, Terrific. Neville, why do people, I understand they swim on Christmas Day. Some people will choose to take a swim. Uh, well, you've been watching Bad Sisters on Apple TV, I think. <laughs> really? Yeah, the Polar Bear Club, yeah, there was a, that, that's a brilliant, uh, brilliant series if you want to. If you want to find something great to binge over Christmas, uh, it's about four Dublin sisters, and they go and they do the Polar Bar Club. A lot of people in Ireland will go swimming at Christmas time. You know, we don't get we don't get down below freezing very much. I mean, typical temperature in Ireland in December uh, might be you know forty Fahrenheit, maybe dropping down overnight to just below zero and coming back up. So people, hardy customers, go jump in the ocean. And they do the sort of 30-second splash and come back out again. Very invigorating. And it's very popular. Uh, I know around Dublin, there's a bunch of the spots around Dublin where people go swimming the day after Christmas. Is there a reason why, specifically Christmas? That It's not really so much a tradition as more just a habit that is developed. Because then they get to go to the pub and have a couple of hot toddies and a few uh, pints of Guinness and warm themselves up afterwards. Right? Now we're talking. <laughs> totally. How about the, uh, there, there's some activity with horse racing in Ireland, right? Yeah. Well, horse racing, you know, is done a lot of times on feast days and holidays, you know, so that the masses can get their Easter races, Christmas races, you know, the Galway races, there's lots of stuff going on. So because our weather, again, is fairly fairly moderate, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. the Gulf Stream comes up the west coast of Ireland, and you know, we've got palm trees in Ireland, believe it or not, because it doesn't really get to be that cold. So uh, wintertime, their sports continue all winter, even... Uh, rugby, hockey, my sport, field hockey, uh, soccer, uh, rugby, those games all continue right through wintertime. 
Um, and so racing does as well. I mean, it's not uncommon for people to be at the races in the middle of January. So it's a, it's a crazy thing, but it's fact, you know, because our climate is fairly moderate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it always amazes me how green it is in Ireland, regardless of what time of the year it is. Yeah, you know, I, I take customers on tours to Ireland. Um, I generally have a couple of tours, and we've got one going to the Wild Atlantic Way next year, the west coast of Ireland, because that west coast in particular has the Gulf Stream's full effect. And I usually tell people, like, you know, even before we go, I'll say, look, it didn't rain much in Ireland last week. It only rained two times. And they all look at me in astonishment, you know, and say, mm-hmm. yeah, but the first time was for three days, and the second time was for four days, you know. So it, it does literally rain every single day. Um, and, you know, I have people tell me all the time, well, we were in Ireland for two weeks and it never rained once, you know, well, you're lucky. <laughs> because, I mean, that's one of the big reasons why people leave Ireland is because they hate the climate, you know. Global warming, it's changing. Uh, I mean, you're going to have grapes growing in Ireland pretty soon. I know in England, They've got great a great wine business starting to grow in England because apparently the climate in the British Isles is very yeah. similar to where it was in Provence 25 years ago, you know. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Can you, the, the climate is very interesting. Can you explain a little bit about Little Christmas or Women's Christmas? Uh, that's not part of my tradition. My part of the world, I, we didn't really celebrate Little Christmas. I, I'm sure it would be very easy to figure it out. Um, Got it. Well, the, the the other part, the other part of it that happens a lot is you know the whole twelfth night thing, um, you know because the ancient Celts didn't really know for sure that their sun would rise again at the end of the year. So if you go to look at like Newgrange, for example, you know you've got the winter solstice that happens in New, and uh, it's celebrated in Newgrange because there's a that's like a, a winter calendar if you want that four thousand year old megalithic tomb built facing the rising sun. The sun shines right into the inside of it and illuminates it for about 20 minutes on winter solstice. So think about the logistics of that. Um, but the idea, the Celts didn't really know for sure that springtime would follow winter. So they always lit a big bonfire and they kept it running for 12 days. So the whole thing of the 12 days of Christmas all ties back in. And Twelfth Night is one of the things that, that ties into the into the same tradition. So most of it goes back to the kind of environmental lifestyle that the, mm-hmm. that the Celts lived. You know, they used a lot of these traditions uh, were how they knew what was coming next in the year. It was a calendar of events, if you like. So Think about Ireland and, and yourself, Neville. Is there anything that you miss or anything that you brought to the United States that you're really happy to keep going? Oh, well, I missed the crack. You know, like our, like our word in, in our, you know, the Irish word, C-R-A-I-C, the fun, the sport, the, the you know, the, the good times. I miss my mates. You know, I miss, I mean, the lifestyle. Uh, yeah, that's what, part of why I opened Donegal Square because of the foodstuffs, you know, to bring a lot of the Christmas thing, the jumpers in, the jerseys, the sweaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, later, the pub, you know, the pub was really directly to try and provide, um, expose people in the Lehigh Valley here to the things that were very typical in Ireland. And, and you know, it, some things, you know, you can be successful with and some's not, some not. But for the most part, my idea of creating an experience here in the Lehigh Valley for the customers, that's all based on things that I missed and things that I wanted and things I thought were important. That's what part of why we built our business the way we did. So, you know, Christmas time here, you can come into the shop and buy all kinds of Christmas food stuff models in the UK, uh, things that are typical for there, you know, Christmas puddings, uh, the biscuits, uh, the, you know, the Christmas jams, the jellies, the sauces. Um, yeah, we, we do we do our very best to, to have a lot of that, a lot of those things here. So Neville, we have about a minute left. We have also have a lot of people who listen to us online before they travel to this area. Can you, uh, can you just tell them a, a little bit more about your restaurant and the Irish fair that you have there? 
Sure. Yeah, well, the restaurant, I mean, it started off as Granny McCarthy's Tea Room and Bakery 25 years ago, and it morphed into a full-blown restaurant. Uh, so we have 300 whiskeys. We have a lot of great Irish beers. We Our food is, you know, based on tradition. We make our own brown bread. We make our own potato farls. A lot of, like, we do a traditional breakfast every day. We have great fish and chips. Um, so our stuff is all made from scratch and very much kind of a combo of Irish and Scottish culture kind of melded together, which is where my, my father's family was from Scotland, my mother's family were from County Cork originally, the McCarthy part. So, yeah, in the restaurant, you can definitely get the full, you'll feel like you went across the Atlantic without needing your passport. And if you're looking for that special Irish gift, you Donegal have Square, Donegal Square. Yeah, I had to go in and get another bracelet uh, the other day for another friend. It's got a little magnet behind it. and uh, Sure, cool. Very, very popular. Neville Gardner, thank you yes. very much for you're welcome you're talking welcome. to us Check about all the great things in Ireland and all the great sure. things at your store and your restaurant. Sure. Uh, thank you. You are listening to WDIY. I'm your host, Greg Caponia. Happy holidays.